Welcome back to another episode of the Gladiators Den MMA. Today we're going to look back at UFC Vegas 75, all the rumors and MMA news from the last week, and a look ahead of the Ilya Teporia and Emmett fight. So without further ado, let's get to it. Okay, welcome back to another episode of the Gladiators Den MMA podcast. I believe this is episode 8, and we have video for this one, so... If you're watching on YouTube, thank you. If you're listening and want to watch some audio of me sat in the same chair for about an hour, go over to my YouTube. I believe the big elephant in the room in MMA at the moment is, of course, the Conor McGregor allegations. So where else better to start than there? I mean, of course, again, these are all allegations, but... If this did turn out to be true, for whatever reason, would anybody be surprised? I don't think anybody would be, right? If we just look at his track record, he had the issue with the old man in the pub. He had the issue where he threw the the big metal thing, I forgot what it was, at the bus. He had the issue where he allegedly punched the Italian DJ. I believe this is like the third... Definitely the second, maybe the third allegation he's had of sexual assault. So, again, allegations. But if it did turn out to be true, could anybody be surprised? I, I doubt it. But on the flip side of that, defamation is serious, right? If it turns out that this woman is lying, and based on the stories that she's been given... I think a lot of people are swinging towards that she is lying due to the evidence that's come out and, you know, there's videos of her allegedly, again, 30 minutes after this alleged assault took place with Conor McGregor. She's now claiming that... She claimed, sorry, I believe that she was forced into the bathroom with him, but then there was video evidence that she went in willingly. Then now she's claiming that the NBA offered her a hundred thousand dollars to be quiet it's just it's a mess right and it doesn't help mcgregor in the position he's in at the minute just because it doesn't look like he's gonna fight anytime soon he missed a couple of days ago the deadline to fight on the december card which a lot of people assumed that he would be fighting in madison square garden so if he's to enter the USADA pool now, he would be fighting next year. <clears throat> Which, of course, Chandler posted on his social media that USADA paid him a visit. And he seems to be growing a little bit agitated now, right? He put a video out saying, like, where you at, McGregor? It's just... It's... I believe it's too early to make our mind up yet on what's going to happen. Because, you know, their fight is the ultimate fighter finale the ultimate fight is not even finished yet so i don't think we should get too worried about the fight not happening just yet maybe wait until after the season and then if there's still no announcement maybe then that's the time to start worrying especially if you're chandler it's just he's not doing himself any favors right maybe he's doing this on purpose maybe he's not coming out with the training videos with the information to drive up this anticipation let's not forget mcgregor is a master in controlling the media in you know doing these interviews uh controlling the narrative and stuff in his favor so maybe he 
Heaney um, is doing this, this is some kind of plan. Now, of course, all these allegations, that's not what I'm referring to. But it's just a mess. I mean, what do you expect, right, from a guy that's come from nothing and now has everything? You can't have that and then not have them act a fool. You know what I mean? Of course, let's not forget, they had the whole issue with the with the mascot as well. A skit gone too far, which apparently he ended up in the ER. Now, to me, I looked at it, it did look a bit tame. Let's think about when Deontay Wilder did it to, to, the, to a Spanish mascot or something on live TV and broke his jaw. The McGregor skit looked a little bit tame. I believe from watching it, it was the follow-up shot I think wasn't planned because the original one didn't look tough. And the way he punches, he punches it right on the nose and the character has like a big nose, so it's kind of cushioned. Maybe the mascot, you know, is looking for something that's not there. I don't know, because it didn't look too bad to me. But yeah. All these these videos of Chandler doing these crazy training videos doesn't help McGregor when, you know, there's nothing of him that looks like he's taking this fight seriously or he's even attempting to train. Now, that being said, I did see a video of him training with Dylan Dennis recently. Now, take that as you what you want. Does training with Dylan Dennis mean he's ready to come back or does it mean... You know, he's teasing, he's going to open, he's going to be starting his training camp soon. I don't know. But, yeah. It's, doesn't look good for McGregor. Um, I feel bad for him in terms of the allegations. If they turn out not to be true, of course, if they turn out to be true, then, you know, legal action should be taken in due course. But, you know, with a level of fame, you're going to get these, these moments where people try and take advantage of you or they try and make money. So let's just see how it plays out. I don't think there's anything to worry about just yet in terms of McGregor and Chandler fighting not happening. If nothing is announced after the finale of the Ultimate Fighter, maybe it's time to start, you know, looking elsewhere. Because let's not forget, for Chandler, this is life changing. This is a life changing fight. For McGregor, it's not. He he ha- already has all the money. The UFC have already got what they wanted out of him in terms of filming for the ultimate fighter. Now, of course, a fight with Chandler would be massive, but the main thing for them was getting him to do the ultimate fighter, and that's already been done. And on that topic, if you've been following the ultimate fighter, you'll know. Spoilers if you've not watched the new one. You know, don't listen if you have been for the next couple of seconds, but Team McGregor is down 4-0. And I can't say I'm surprised. I genuinely think it's hilarious the way that he's been coaching. If you look, he just looks like an insane person, right? And, you know, to be that good at something, to make it to the top, you probably do have to be a little bit insane. But when he's training and stuff, he just looks like an insane person. And Chandler looks like a genuine coach. He's, I definitely think being on Team Chandler would be most beneficial for the athletes. Um, and when you're watching the fights, McGregor's outside the cage in the suit, just, you know, fucking shouting to himself. Whereas Chandler is cage side. He's getting in the cage. He's coaching his fighter. McGregor's just shouting stuff from the side. Doesn't even get into the, you know, doesn't even get in the cage and give advice. He doesn't turn up to the weigh-ins. He's late to everything. I mean, (laughs) I just find it funny, but yeah, enough with that. Last week we had the UFC Fight Night, 
we had the the Tory Cannoneer main event. Now, if you didn't watch that fight, I couldn't ha- recommend enough that you go back and watch it. Those first three rounds were genuinely insane. I mean, I didn't expect this fight to be a banger. I thought Vittori would grind out a win, you know, utilize his wrestling. Uh, I didn't think he would get knocked out because of his past showings that he has his chin of fucking steel. But I never in a million years accepted him, expected him to take the beating he took and still keep coming forward. I was unbelievably impressed. Now... Cannonier broke the middleweight record for most significant strikes in a fight, landing 249 strikes. Which, as a middleweight, that is insane. You know, these fights usually, with the bigger boys, they they start off, they kind of start off slower. And it was the opposite. Both men was pushing the pace. Vittori rocked Cannonier twice in that opening round. And then, if I remember rightly, Cannonier also rocked him in the first. Then in the second round... Cannonier just beat the brakes off him and potentially a 10-8 round. He he used to fight as a heavyweight, right? He's had fights and knockouts in heavyweight, light heavyweight, and now middleweight. So you know that guy packs power. You've seen some of the knockouts he's had. Remember the ground and pound that he put on Derek Brunson? He was beating the shit out of Vittori with elbows and stuff from the top again. And Vittori just got up like some fucking cyclone and was just still walking forward looking to fight. I mean, I couldn't believe it. And I mean, what a performance from uh, Cannoneer as well. You know, the output that he put in to beat someone like Vittori after Vittori, you know, he's put a couple of, he put a win, he had a good win over an up-and-comer after his loss to uh, Whitaker. Now, yeah, it's just, where do you go from here with those guys? I mean... Cannoneer has obviously already fought for the title. Whitaker is probably most likely to fight next if he beats Duplessis. It's just the whole middleweight division is kind of at a crossroads where every top contender has already fought. So to refuse somebody a fight based on the logic that they've already had a fight would be unfair to everybody else. So... I'm referring to Whitaker specifically. If Whitaker is to beat Duplessis, because that's kind of unwritten rule that the unwritten you know statement that that's going to be the number one tender fight, is if Whitaker wins, you can't really say no because he's already fought twice. Because then who are you going to put in next? Because the only other contenders, the possible contenders, are people that have already fought. So I believe the wit- winner of Whitaker Duplessis is going to be the number one contender. So. I mean, what a spot for Duplessis, right? If he can get the jump on Whitaker with the whole back and forth they've been having with between Duplessis and Adesanya, that would make for a great fight. And it would kind of spice up the middleweight division a little bit, which I think would fans would enjoy. Me, personally, I'm a huge Whitaker fan. Um, I am biased, I'll admit that. I think Whitaker's going to win, and I want Whitaker to win. But in terms of everyone else, I mean, Kananir, after that performance against Vittori... It's hard to deny that he's, what, a fight away from another title shot. And due to this situation that we're in right now in the middleweight division, right, is 
is probably why the UFC are pushing these these unknown guys immediately to the top in terms of their fights. We have uh, Costa versus... Oh, what's he called? The guy... That, I actually have some notes here, so I'm just going to quickly look. Aliskarov. Yeah, Costa versus Aliskarov. Aliskarov's 1-0 in the UFC. He only fought a couple of weeks back. The guy has only lost one fight, which was to Chimaev. And if I remember rightly, he's a very successful wrestler as well. Didn't get taken down by Chimaev. So they're pushing him immediately. Like, this is this is faster than they pushed Pereira. Now, it makes sense now why they pushed Pereira so much. Of course, they had the history with Adesanya and Pereira. But, you know, he got fast-tracked to the top. It's because of everybody else in the division is... They're, they're, there's just levels, right? The, the contenders at the top of the division are way above the contenders in the middle. And they just keep knocking them back down. So it's just like a merry-go-round. And Adesanya is levels above them. So eventually it's going to get boring. The promotions are going to get harder to uh, promote the fight and stuff. So now they need some fresh blood. So if Aleskarov can get the jump on Costa, he's immediately one fight away from a title shot, right? Another fight that's interesting is the fight that takes place next week, I believe, which is Strickland versus Magomedov. Magomedov is also 1-0 in the UFC. He got that, like, was it 19-second head kick KO or something? Um, again, Strickland has never fought for the title. He was looking close, but until his fight with Pereira, he's had a couple of wins under his belt since then. Um... If I remember right, he, he had a win or he had a fight at least at light heavyweight. I should have done a little bit more research. But yeah, I, the winner of that could potentially find themselves one fight away from the middleweight title shot. So what I personally believe is going to happen is the winner of those two fights could see themselves... One of the winners of those two fights could see themselves in there with Kananir as, you know... Uh, an eliminator. The winner of Duplessis Whitaker fights Adesanya, and then the winner of whomever wins that will fight the winner of. Yeah, what I just said. So I think there's kind of a plan now going forward to get some fresh faces in there. There's a big opportunity for middleweights that haven't fought for a title that are kind of on the way up. They should be making a bit more noise, I think. But yeah, some interesting fights coming up. A lot of action in that division. Um, yeah, I mean, fucking Vittori's got a chin made of granite. Just looking at my notes, I just reminded myself, he's absorbed over a thousand significant strikes without ever being dropped or knocked out. Now think about it. At middleweight, think of the people he's fought. Adesanya. Kananir. Whitaker. He's fought some big, big hairs. Never dropped, never knocked out. And what is most impressive about him and the way he's been fighting and the way he fought in that is when he's been taking a beating, let's think about the second round against Kananir. The mentality that you have to have after being beaten so bad to just go out into the next round and just act as if that didn't happen, walking forward... The third round was very, very close. It was a highly contested round. And he just had the shit, literally, the daylights beating out of him. 
So think about where his head at. Think about where his confidence is at. Think about how much he's hurting. And he just goes out and does that. I mean, super impressive, yeah. Um, the only two, the only three people above him in terms of significant strikes absorbed and not to be knocked out or knocked down was Pedro Munez, Marlon Vera, and Max Holloway. Now, I believe Munez and Vera had similar. They was a thousand and something. Max Holloway was over 2,000. Now, I know I said think about how hard middleweights hit, so it's more impressive that he's never been knocked out or knocked down in comparison to Munez and Vera. I think Holloway's is a little bit different because of the fighters he's fought. Specifically, that fight with Justin, uh, Dustin Poirier. Now, I remember some of the shots he ate in that fight and some of the... There's like a knee that he took as well, which busted his nose up. So I still think Holloway has the best chin. And I'm, I think close second is Vittori. Yeah, so... Good fight, good main event. Um, interested to see what happens next in the middleweight division. We also had the PFL over the weekend. John Jones was cornering his boy Maurice Green. So we did get to see a face-off between Francis Ngannou and Jones, which was kind of nice. It's it's a little bit of a tease because the fight's never going to happen. But <clears throat> it was nice to see as a fan. I just think that... I mean, it was inevitable because Jones was there. He was going to be, you know, Francis Ngannou was promoting and stuff. It was inevitable. But... It's just, it's more annoying than anything else because even though Nganu has left the UFC, there is nothing stopping that fight from happening. They can co-promote. I mean, Bellator did it with Ryzen pretty successfully, the Japanese company. It's just, the UFC has never felt the need to do it because they don't necessarily get anything from it. They're just essentially raising up their opponent and giving them extra eyes, giving them an extra platform to, to work on. So I don't think they would ever do it. And it's a bit of a, it's a bit of an annoyance because that would definitely be one of the biggest fights ever in MMA and the biggest, one of the biggest co-promotions because I just remembered that the UFC did a co-promotion with Mayweather's team to do the McGregor Mayweather but it's definitely going to be up there if they if they did decide to do it. I think the MMA fans would love it. It would be a bit of a mess in terms of like, you know, it wouldn't be for a championship or anything. Um, if Nganu wins, it's like, you know, 1-0 PFL gives them a bunch of bragging rights. Dana White's not going to do that. I mean, think look how petty Dana White is when Nganu announced he was going to the PFL. He announced a bunch of like insane fights to try and to try and give like a smoke screen to 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 take away the spotlight so to speak. So yeah, I mean it's just so annoying that we're never going to get that fight, right? You've got to agree because Jones has finally made his way to heavyweight. Ngannou is arguably the scariest heavyweight ever. We want to see them fight. And we've had our chance. Nganu was a champion. Jones was fucking about. I definitely think it's Jones's fault if there's a finger to be pointed at anyone here. Because 
he's the one that took the break for three years. It's not Francis ran away. Francis left when his contract ended and he made it pretty clear that he was going to do that. Jones had all the time in the world. If you're going to take, if you're going to be devil's advocate and look at it from that perspective, you can, you can be like, Jones was the one that was scared. But knowing Jones as a competitor and, you know, I don't think he is. And I also read recently that DC commented on it saying that when he faced off with Jones before, he saw Jones was never scared to fight him. He saw the same look in his eye with Vanganu. And, you know, that competitiveness came out in him during that face-off, which I, I 100% believe. I don't think Jones is scared of anyone. Um, I just think he took too long to go up to heavyweight, and he's kind of ruined the chance of us ever seeing that fight. Now, is there a, a part of me that, you know, maybe it will happen once, one day? Yeah, but let's be realistic, it's not going to. So, that annoys me. Uh, speaking of champions, Mr. Sergio Pettis defeated Patricio Pitbull, which was pretty cool in Bellator. Now, I missed this fight, so I'm actually speaking about it without watching it, I'll be honest. I was watching the PFL, and I forgot Bellator was on, so I missed it. But, Patricio Pitbull was going to, for the third third. Third weight class championship. He's already the lightweight, featherweight. Now he's challenging for the bantamweight. If I can remember correctly, I don't think this has ever been done. Maybe it has in smaller promotions or something. But in terms of big promotions, it's not It's not been done. It was nice to see that Sergio Pettis came back after his long injury. He had like a serious MCL, I believe came back after like two and a half years out or something was it against one of the you know Bellator the face of Bellator the big guy the big the big name they have double champ and put on a clinic he won I think four four rounds out of five on most judge scorecards or all of the judges scorecards so yeah I mean it's nice to see as well because I think for a long time he's kind of lived in his brother's shadow so Kind of making a name for himself, which is good. Bit of a killer for the Bellator. I think with the Bellator being up for sale, having a three-weight division champion would would have been... It would have helped their stock, so to speak. But, yeah, wasn't to be. I mean, speaking of which, the PFL are back in the running for the for Bellator. Which I think would be pretty insane if they if they're able to to buy them out. One, I would be interested to see what they do. Do they just transfer all their talent over to the PFL and do it in in that sense, or do they still keep running the Bell Bellator as a separate company and just interchange the athletes? I don't know. It would be interesting to see. I think if the PFL do capture Bellator or you know buy a stake in it or whatever. I definitely think it helps them in terms of competing with the UFC. But, yeah, I think that's something to keep keep an eye out on. Um, yeah. Speaking of Bellator, Romero, 46 years old, lost against, I forget his name, the light heavyweight champion. Uh, I didn't see that fight as well, but... 
I read and heard from people that he he was starting to show his age. I mean, you can't blame him. 46? I mean, who's doing that at 46? Saw a couple of highlights of him playing possum and stuff, which was pretty funny. Uh, yeah, I mean, the guy's a machine. He's 46, right? But I think him challenging for the title at 46 kind of shows where the Bellator's at in terms of talent. I think he's in there. I think he got pushed because he's a big name. And again, if he won, probably good for business when looking to sell. But yeah, that's that's that. Um, there was some poor refing in in the UFC this weekend, specifically Jaren Villal and Keith Peterson. Now in the Hernandez Bondar fight, uh, Hernandez with about a second to go was, you know, five seconds away from murdering Bondar. If you've not watched it, what happens is he's landing elbow. He takes he he throws Bondar down, kind of like a judo throw, and it looks as though he hits his head on the mat when he's landing and he's knocked out from that. There is a slight clash of heads in the follow up as you know Hernandez his body weight is going down after the throw, and then he lands I think five huge elbows before Jeremy Villal stops the fight. A good referee would have seen it after one. I didn't see that he was out until the replay, but after two elbows, I was screaming at my TV to stop the fight. That's how obvious it was. You know, I'm just a fan watching at home. If you're a trained professional referee, you should have seen that instantly. Now, what's annoying is... The clash of heads was certainly accidental. Didn't look significant to me in terms of the knockout. It looked like he was out before that. So Hernandez has essentially been robbed from a knockout win. Potential bonus. Yeah, sucks. Um, Keith Peterson made an absolute howler in the Argetta Lawrence fight. Now, it looked like he was about to tap when... Uh, when I got... Like, I can't remember. Was it Agata or Lawrence who, who won? I can't remember. But whoever won had the opponent in a guillotine. And I think it was Lawrence. No, no. Agata had Lawrence in a guillotine, I think. If I'm wrong, fuck you. I don't care. Agata had Lawrence in a guillotine. And he had his hand out like this, like he was ready to tap. You know, he was probably five seconds away from winning. And Keith Peterson, like, shook his hand and then called it. Shook his hand to see if he was out didn't flop so it was pretty obvious he wasn't i think he was i don't know smoking more than cigarettes but what i did like about that is after the fight he held his hands up and was like look i made a mistake and then just got on with it now being held accountable is very 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 important when you know people's livelihoods people's careers are on the line something that the judges should learn from now if you listen to last week's podcast i banged on about the poor judging for way too long so I'm not going to get into that again but that's what he did he held his hands up admitted he made a mistake they called it a no contest should have you know should have been a win bit of annoying for uh, Argetta but you know human mistakes happen when you have humans it's going to happen now of course it sucks it's going to be annoying but it is what it is get on with it um, you know shit happens 
I think they dealt with it in the best way possible. He came out and had some good refereeing performances after that. So, what can you do? Um, now, I want to quickly go through the rest of the cards. So, I'm just going to quickly look on my phone because I don't have a good memory. <clears throat> so, we had Armin Sakurian who beat Silva pretty convincingly. Did what most people expected him to do, wrestled him, uh, controlled the fight. I didn't know who Silva was going into this fight. The commentators kept saying that he was going to be dangerous on the feet. He showed it in the second round where he seriously rocked uh, Sakorian. Looked to be you know, pretty pretty serious danger at one point, but wisely shot for the takedown and got it when he was wobbled. Pretty uh, mature performance. Definitely someone to watch out for in terms of, you know, the lightweight division. I'm pretty sure he's been yapping out to Chandler online, giving Chandler a bit of a tough time with the McGregor situation. That's a fight I would love to see, Chandler versus Sakurian. I think Sakurian's one of those fighters where people make any excuse not to fight him. Now, his fight with Gamrot is one of my favorite fights ever in terms of technical abilities. Their scrambles they have, the back and forth they have on the feet, it's just amazing to watch. If you've never watched that fight, it's one of it's one of the best fights as an MMA fan to watch if you know what you're looking for. It's such a good fight. And I I think he he, he arguably won that fight too. Um he fought Khabib on not sorry, Khabib, he fought uh Islam on three weeks notice on his debut in the UFC and you know went all three rounds with him. He's he's tough fight for anyone. I think he could beat 90% of that division. And I think people are wisely avoiding him. So shout out to Silva for taking that fight. Uh, Armin Petrosian beat Christian Duncan. Uh, Christian Duncan made his debut a while back, I think, in London. Uh, I can't remember how it ended. Was it like a somebody... It was like a no contest or something, right? Uh, I think someone like hurt their shoulder or something. I was pretty. I was looking forward to his debut for a while. He looked pretty good at cage in Cage Warriors. Um, Petrosian is pretty new to MMA. I believe he only started MMA a couple of years ago, transitioned from kickboxing. So I was expecting a nice, uh, good stand-up fight, and it didn't really disappoint. There was there was fighting at such a high pace. It was really, uh, it was really impressive to watch. But Duncan was just annoying me with the way he was fighting. So got a bit pissed off towards the end. He was just. A very odd style. Petrosian fought really well. I think he was the underdog going into this fight. Got a good decision. Um, Pat Sabatini got the submission win over Lucas Almeida. Looked almost close to finishing him in the first round, but got the business done in the second. Just absolutely dominated him. Manuel Torres got that fucking incredible stepping elbow. One of my favourite shots in MMA is the stepping elbow. I, I mean... I don't know if it's, you know, me just not understanding the sport that well, but I don't understand why people don't do it more. Because you see in Muay Thai that it's really effective. Um, comes to mind as well, Darren Till used to do it really well. When people burst in, he would do a stepping elbow. He did it against Whitaker and dropped him once. But, wow, what a knockout. Yeah, I was... I'll admit, I didn't know who either of those fighters were before this fight, but Torres is someone... And Motten rocked Torres as well, just before that. Torres is someone I'm definitely going to keep my eye on. Uh, Nicholas Dalby put in a very impressive performance against Muslim Salikov. Uh, Salikov 
much like Romero, I think age is just finally starting to catch up with him at the ripe old age of 39. Nice performance from Darby, controlled him. Again, like I said with Sakorian, it was a mature performance. Did what he needed to do, avoided danger, got the job done. Um, Kang Kyung Ho beat Christian Quenos in a, you know, couple of minute, couple of minute blast. That was an exciting fight. Good to see him back. Um, spoke about the Carlos Hernandez stuff. Spoke about the Dan Argeta, Ronnie Lawrence stuff. Zach Pauger versus uh, Pocascas. Now, I spoke about Pocascas once on here uh, when he beat, I think, Tyson Pedro. And I didn't know who he was, and but he'd come back from... I think he'd previously fought in UFC, went to Cage Warriors, became the champion and came back. He looked good against um, Pauger. I was very impressed with that fight. I didn't expect it to be a banger, much like the Vittori Cannonier one, right? I was just thoroughly impressed with it. Some nice back and forth, some good exchanges. Both men were trying to get each other out of there. Uh, Pocascas was the better man, yeah. Looked good. We think that, yeah, that's everything for the fight night just gone. Main story is obviously the Tories chin, the bad refereeing. Um, I think Sakorian is an amazing fighter. Keep your eye out for his fights coming up. Uh, let's have a look at next week's card. This weekend's card, sorry. Now, this weekend's card is interesting because there is not that many fights on there that I'm actually super looking forward to. They always end up being the best cards. These always end up being the most educational ones for me because I learned a lot more about uh, fights I didn't know previously. But Ilya Taporia versus Josh Emmett is just such a fucking great fight. Ilya Taporia is one of my favourite fighters at the moment in terms of I just can't wait to see where his career goes because he's just such an entertaining fighter. He can do everything. His performance against Bryce Mitchell was so, so surprising and, and astonishing that the, the sky's the limit for this guy. He has amazing Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I believe he came into MMA as a jiu-jitsu specialist. Has... Good wrestling and unworldly power. Uh, he, I think he's had fights at bantamweight when he first started. Shorter guy, um, moved up to featherweight, and now he's testing the waters at lightweight. Uh, sorry, no, no, he, he did fight at bantamweight. Now he's moving up to featherweight. Now he's fighting at yeah. Sorry, he's not moving up, right? Emmett is a featherweight because he just lost against Yair Rodriguez. Okay, I've just had a fucking brain fart. He used to fight at bantamweight when he was early in his career. Now he's fighting at featherweight. Emmett is a very big featherweight with immense power. Taporia is going to be the smaller guy of the two. I think that's the point I was getting at. Fucking got there eventually. But yeah, so... Both guys possess incredible knockout power. Emmett can wrestle. Taporia can wrestle. So I'd be surprised if they end up wrestling. I think Taporia has the advantage if they do because of his ground game in terms of jiu-jitsu. I think it's going to be a stand-up fight. And I think that Taporia, because he has a, a, a short reach, 
he fights pressing forward and tries to get on the inside. So Emmett's going to fight on the back foot and try and land that huge right that he, he loves to throw. You know, the one that knocked out Michael Johnson, the one that he landed on Rodriguez and dropped him in the last fight. I think this is going to be a fucking banger. Either that or someone's just going to blow the other out of the water. Now, I think for Emmett, it's a massive opportunity to 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 stop an up-and-comer. Now, let's not forget, he got wobbled with that head kick against... Uh, I forgot his name. It's on the top of my, top of my, tip of my tongue as well. J, 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 J something, J something. Anyway, yeah, Jai something, uh, the British fighter, he he dropped to Pori and looked to almost Jai Herbert. Jai Herbert, fucking get in there. Jai Herbert, he uh, dropped. He dropped to Pori with a head kick, looked almost close to finishing him, and then Zaporia came back and, you know, left his body in a slump against the cage. So, Taporia is definitely, I think, my pick. Um, I'm going to go knockout as well. Wouldn't be surprised if it's a submission win because we saw how Emmett got caught in a submission against Rodriguez. I think if he gets sloppy in wrestling, that, that could possibly happen as well. But what an opportunity for Taporia, right? If he can beat Emmett, who was one fight away from being the interim champion, he's immediately just springboarding himself to the top of that division, which now gives Volkanovski a problem because... Volkanovski is, uh, you know, in similar position to Adesanya. He's beat everyone in the division if he gets past Rayaya Rodriguez as well, which, you know, you know me, I've said a, a, a bunch of times that I don't think it's going to be an easy fight for him. Now, Holloway to Poirier would be a good fight, but of course we know Holloway's just been confirmed with Korean Zombie. Open is a minus 1,000 favourite. That fight is in August in Singapore. I mean, is it a good fight for Zombie? I mean, close to home or as close to home as he's going to get now. Almost definitely his retirement fight. He got pieced up by Brian Ortega. Brian Ortega pieced him up and outstruck him. Uh, you, you know, it's gonna. What do you think Holloway's going to do to him? The only chance I think he has is to try and is to try and wrestle him, but Holloway has a really good takedown defense, so I don't know. I don't want to watch that fight just for that reason. I love Korean Zombie Man. But yeah, that fight got announced. A bunch of good fights got announced recently. Uh Sahudo Ferrer for the Boston card. Same card as uh Sterling and O'Malley. That's an interesting fight because Cejudo was close. He was one round away from one round on one judge's scorecard away from becoming champion. So he's as close to the champion in terms of ability that you're going to get. Vera's coming off a loss uh, against Song Yidong, who also has just had a fight announced. I mean, the bantamweight division is so good, right? Song Yidong got announced with uh, Rob Font. That's a banger as well. But yeah, so if Vera can beat Cejudo... I think Tsudo's done. And it just propels him back up again to where he probably would have been if he had to be in Song Yudong. Um Sahudo beats Vera. I mean it shows he's willing to, you know, stick around, try and get another title shot, become champion. Because if Sterling 
wins and then vacates the title, goes up to featherweight, like he said he's going to, then Mirab versus Cejudo is pretty likely. If Vera wins, Vera versus Mirab is also likely. Or if O'Malley wins against Sterling, Vera wins against Cejudo, then you can match them to it for a title shot. Because we know how much Mali's, uh, O'Malley has said that he wants to fight Vera again. So I think it's pretty wise, and I think it's uh, it's been done on purpose that those two fights are on that card. If Because if certain you know, outcomes line up, then they can, they can kind of match make instantly after that. Yeah, uh, Rob Font versus Song Yidong. That's that's gonna be a banger. Um, Gaslam versus Shafkat. Fucking shout outs, Kevin Gaslam, right? He did a video saying that he's uh, willing to fight him, dropping back down to welterweight. Now I think that's a tough fight for Shafkat. I mean, Gaslam's got a chin on him, and uh, you know he's fought welterweight before. He's, he knocked out Bisping towards Bis, the end of Bisping's career at welterweight, I think. Uh, no, maybe that was middleweight. Maybe, I think that was his debut at middleweight, sorry. But yeah, he's fought, he's fought at welterweight before. He's dangerous. He can wrestle. He can scrap. He's not going to be someone that you can get out of there easily. Um, Neil, uh, Jeff Neal caused Shavkat problems on the feet. I think Gaslam can. Gaslam's going to have power. I'm very intrigued to see. Um, Curtis, Chris Curtis is looking for a quick turnaround against Fluffy Hernandez. Now, I think Fluffy Hernandez is, he's just so hard not to root for, right? I think, and I think he's, he's been showing such good improvements each time he's fought. I think he gets the job done over Chris Curtis as well, but I think that's going to be a great fight. And last of all, I want to mention the Usman, uh, Namagomedov versus Corey Sandhagen. Now, what a fucking boss move from uh, Sandhagen, right? He will fight anyone. He did a video in his car and he was like, yeah, if I want to be the best, so I have to beat the best. I'm, you know, I'm a badass or something like that. Fucking respect. The bantamweight division is just so much fun, right? I think at the moment that's my favorite division. You can put anyone together in the top 10 and it's going to be close. And yeah, anyone can be anyone on any given day. But I think that's pretty much everything I want to speak about. I did say I was going to go through next week's card, right? I forgot. Let's have a look. Um, is there anyone I want to speak about? Justin Taffer's back on the card. Pretty quick turnaround. David Onana, that should be a good fight. Uh, Neil Magny, Philip Rowe. Didn't know that was happening. Randy Brown, Wellington Terman. Good fight. Uh, Trevor Peak, the... Fucking hammer, hammer fist guy, he's back. Jack Jenkins. Uh, Tatsu Tyro. Oh, I mean, this is some good fights. I'll take it back. Yeah, I don't really know much of the others. There's that... Uh, Zomagolov, the guy that got his hair cut like Paddy Pimlet. <laughs> he's fighting. I've never seen him fight, but he's hilarious. he's been hilarious these last couple of months, so... I'd like to see that. Yeah, some good fights, actually. Like I said, it's usually these cards are usually the ones that always surprise you. Looking at the the prelims, I would change the majority of the main card for the prelim card fights. But yeah, 
you know UFC, you know Dana, they love their heavyweights. You know, they should have just been tougher third to last. Well, yeah, that's it for today. Thank you for listening. I uh, hope you enjoyed it, and I'll see you all next time.